Last week, Pastor Ryan laid out the importance of trusting in Jesus, and he made this point that even when we're out of control, God is still in control. And I think most of us this morning are thankful that when we're out of control, that Jesus is still in control, amen? I mean, it's an incredible statement to be made that we know that we have a Heavenly Father that is always there in the midst of our battles, in the midst of our storms. He never wavers. And so we want to make sure that if you ever come to that place where, hey, you know what, I missed a message, um, I, want to re- I want to listen to it again, go back to our church website, check it out, go to the archives and sermons and look at it again. And so we're going to continue our, our series called I'm a Work in Progress. And I think for most of us here today, we can pretty much say that, right? I mean, I'm a work in progress, and we can say that, we can say amen, and we can go home, because we are a work in progress. And you can look to the person to the right and person to the left, and you can say, yeah, you're a work in progress. But we just want to make sure that, we, that as we go in this series, we're going to kick it off today, and I want you to look to the person to the left, and I want you to look to the person to the right, and then I want you to be able to turn around and look to the person two, three, four behind you. I want you to make sure that you know who your area of influence is in this church today. All right, because it's always important to know who's your neighbor, right? Okay, are we doing that, or are you all looking at me? Because you can't look at me because there's a punchline here, okay? You've got to be looking at everybody else. All right. Now, now that you've looked at everybody, I want you to be able to, to point to the person that you think is the biggest sinner. <laughs> okay. I know, I know, I know. I mean, it's, it's tough, and some of you are probably pointing at yourself, right? That's me. I'm like, yeah, I'm the biggest sinner, right? And those things, those things that happen. But many times, it's a little awkward and a little bit weird to, to be able to point out who that biggest sinner is. In fact, there is a movement today that doesn't even want us to call people sinners. And we don't want to make people feel conviction. We don't want to talk about sin. We don't want to call people sinners. We don't want to be able to hold them accountable. We just want to encourage people. We just want to make people feel better about themselves. We want to uplift people. And in some aspects, that's very important. I think it's important that we encourage one another. I think it's important that we challenge each other. I think it's important that people understand that when you come to Central, that we are a place that we want you to be and that we care for you and that we want to encourage you in all those things. But if we don't talk about the sin, the reality of the sin nature and the destructive power and its internal consequences, then as a church, as an individual, as a person that's sitting in that chair that you're sitting in this morning, are doing perhaps the most incredible disservice to people that we could ever have. When we water down sin, if we pretend like it's not a big deal, then we're preaching a very, very dangerous message. So I want us to think about that. I want us to kind of understand because that is the, that is the groundwork of where we're going today. So if you're ready, I want everybody to say, I'm ready. I'm ready. Because I believe that God has a plan and a purpose and a message for you. And we have to decide whether or not we're going to accept it, if we're going to run with it. But I believe that when we say, I'm ready, that God's going to open up doors for us today. And so I've entitled the message today, Reality Check. And I put up on the screen a picture of, my, of a screen time. Again, if you're an Android person, you know, you, you don't have this technology. It's not any good. But on an iPhone, you can, you can have this screen time. And, you, and so 
Yesterday, um, I took this, it was last night, and uh, I spent three hours and 22 minutes uh, of screen time. And uh, above this, I didn't take a picture of this part, but above this, it says Bronco iPhone. And so I'm in direct connection with the Broncos uh, with my iPhone. And so it's just an incredible thing. If you're a Chiefs fan, you, can, you don't have that kind of stuff. Um, but anyway, that's beside the point. Three hours and 22 minutes. You have to have a reality check. How much time do you spend with technology? How much time do you spend on social media? How much time do you do things? For me, this is a reality check. It, it evaluates the amount of time that I spend. It could, be, it could be three hours and 21 minutes that was very productive, that I did all the right things. But I think it's important for us to have that reality check as we, as we go into the message this morning is, is that reality check in our faith and where we're at. We're going to look at the Laodicea church in Revelations chapter 3, which was literally a first century church in Asia Minor, now called Turkey. The church of Laodicea was, only, was the only church of the seven churches in Revelation that was not commended for doing something from Jesus. It was the only church of the seven. Imagine this church. They were prosperous. It was a center of banking and commerce. It was a financial influence, and their mind was made to the point that they, they didn't really need anything. And everything about the church epitomizes the spiritual condition of the age that we live. Spiritual ap apathetic, lukewarm, indifferent, and materialistic. And here's the deal. Jesus knows exactly where their issue is. He knows exactly how to draw their attention, and, he see, and we see that in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. If you're taking notes today, write down, Christ is faithless, is faithful even when we are faithless. Christ is faithful even when we are faithless. Verse 14, it says, to the angel of the church of Laodicea writes, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I am the Amen. Amen is talking about so be, let it be. Let it be so. So be it. Yes. And so when we say amen, that's what we're saying. That's what we're proclaiming. I have an illustration that I, when we, I went to Guatemala, and while I was in Guatemala, <clears throat> they were speaking uh, a foreign language. Sometimes I have a hard enough time just speaking English. And so when they, when I was, they were talking in, in Spanish, and, and uh, someone said amen. And I was like, dude, I know that word. Right? Even, even in a, a different language, amen is saying, so be it. So be it. Let the word of the Lord be proclaimed victorious. You're agreeing with something that's saying, so be it. And this is what's happening. The first thing Jesus wants to reveal is about his nature. He is the amen. So be it. Let it be done, Lord. He is faithful and true, the beginning and the end. And Christ is completely reliable and completely faithful, even though they have not proven, the Laodicea church has not been proven to be so. And even though they could be argued as the most unhealthiest church and have the most unhealthiest condition, Jesus invites them to return. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him were all things created, and there are heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Can I get an amen? amen. That is what we're saying. 
Point number two, if you have notes, says Christ is not interested in those that fake it. Christ is not interested in those who fake it. Now, many of you fake certain things when it comes to soda pop. You think that one pop is better than the other. I'm proclaiming that today you're a sinner if you think that you like pop that's not ice cold, right? I mean, I'm a Mountain Dew drinker. If it's not ice cold, it's like, it's nasty. And for those of you that think that you can drink a pop, a soda pop, four hours after you've opened it, four hours after you've gotten out of the thing, that is gross. That is nasty. That is, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I just don't know how you do it. Then you have the other side of it that's hot cocoa. Hot cocoa, hot coffee. See, I'm not, I'm not old enough to drink coffee, so I don't, I don't understand the whole coffee thing. Someone offered me, offered me tea <laughs> for my voice, and, and I'm like, I don't like dirty water. So it's like, I don't, I don't get the hot tea thing. I don't get the coffee thing. But people say that it's important to have something that's hot coffee. Now, then, but then there's that indulgence part where you're doing iced coffee now. You're trying to mix the cold with the hot. Uh, I don't know. That's all messed up, right? But we, we see these types of, types of things. And it says in verse 15 and, and 16, it's talking about if you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of your mouth. It's talking about a vomit. It's talking about... You know, if you've ever had that experience of vomit, it's, a, it's an incredible opportunity that we have when, when, when our body was made to get rid of something. I remember when I was, when I was in Detroit doing an inner city, inner city missions trip, and, and uh, there was about 50 people in a cabin, and, and uh, I was heading up that cabin, and, and middle of the night, about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden I hear this... <laughs> I mean, that's, that's an awesome sound effect, right? It wasn't my kid. It wasn't the, the 10, 12 kids that I brought. That, that, I wasn't responsible for them. And I walk into the bathroom, and there's some kid from Podunk Town, wherever, and he's not feeling very well. I ate too much pizza. And I, and I had to help him. I had to help him. And, and, and that's, that's the vomit part of it. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I'm going to vomit you. I'm not, if you're not going to have that relationship with me, I'm vomiting you. I don't want you to part. I don't want you to part of me. And so there's three types of people. The first one is cold. The implication here is that if you're cold spiritually, meaning that you've never been born again, never received true salvation because you're still spiritually dead. And that's what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 3. It says you must be born again because apart from him, you're just a corpse that's spiritually dead. And so we think about cold. Cold is, is someone that does not have a relationship with Jesus, but that they're dead spiritually. That they've never experienced the opportunity to say, Jesus, will you forgive me? They've never made the pro proclamation of understanding what it meant for Jesus to die on the cross and allow that to come into your life. Cold. People that we talk about that are out on the streets of Carroll, the streets of Manning, Arcadia, Coon Rapids, Baird, and Points Unknown. The people that do not have a relationship with Jesus. The people that when the trumpet sounds and Jesus calls us home and the dead will rise first and we'll meet them in the air. Those people that do not know Jesus are destined for hell. That is the people that are cold the people that do not have a relationship. 
The second type, type of person is the hot. The individual that is hot for Jesus, the individual that, that we're talking about here in Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, is talking about you, you, you are inspired by Jesus, that you are on fire for Jesus, that you have a spiritual fervor for Jesus, that you are living on mission for Jesus, that you have a vision of redemption, of what he did on the cross, and that you're living in a close relationship with him. That is someone that is hot for Jesus. In both of those situations, it doesn't ref- it's not reflecting the fact that you're perfect, or that you do everything that's right, because we are sinners, and you've been recognized by your neighbor that you're the sinner. And we're not perfect, but yet God says that if you're hot, if you've asked Jesus Christ into your life, that you have a place next to him. And then the third type is the lukewarmness. Lukewarm. Having shown little zeal or enthusiasm, indifference. And there's a quote that says this. It says, when you've been doing the wrong thing for so long, it seems right. When you've been doing the wrong thing for so long, it seems right. That's the part where you're going, you're, you're at work, and, and you're writing down on notes on paper and pencil, and the boss comes in and says, dude, we got a computer, right? You've been doing something the same way for so long that it's, it may not be right. Maybe you've been doing something in your faith. Maybe you've been thinking that you're a good person. As long as I'm a good person, as long as I'm doing the right things, as long as I'm attending church, then I must be okay. But we're saying that even though we've been doing some things that are right, we've been doing some things that are okay, when you've been doing the wrong thing for so long, it feels right, so much that in trying to do the right thing feels wrong. When Jesus is speaking truth to you today, but you've been living in sin for so long, it's hard to make the decision to say, yes, God, I'm going to surrender to you. Because you've been captivated by sin and by death and by hurt and by depression and by all the things of this world. And you've been living that life. And you've been doing it for so long, it just doesn't seem right to be able to go and say, Jesus, help me, because you don't feel worthy. You don't feel like you, you, you can Can I tell you today that Jesus died on the cross for you? There's four characteristics that we see from the Laodicean church. The first one is that they were complacent. They were complacent. When you're lukewarm, you become complacent. You You begin to take things for granted. Maybe you're in a marriage and you become complacent. The emphasis on your spouse wasn't what it used to be. You become complacent in maybe in what you do in life. You see, the characteristics of this church was they, they become complacent. They, they didn't think that they needed to do anything, that they had all the wealth. They had all the materialistic things that they needed. So they didn't think they had to have God. The second piece or point was that they had lost their drive. Maybe sometimes today we, we, lose, we have lost our drive. We have lost our, our perspective. We have lost the, the, the avenue of where we need to go. And we get suckered into 
you know, the, the fact that what God, you know, what the enemy is doing to us and we, we lose sight of where God's wanting to take us and so we don't have the drive to go after God. We allow the hurts and the problems and the situations and the failures that we have had happen to us impact us in a way that we say, okay, I'm going to lose, my, I've lost my drive. I'm, I'm not going to go to church today. I'm not going to do what God's called me to do today. The third, the third point here is that they lost their fire. They lost their fire. They lost their passion. They lost their energy. When we begin to go down this lukewarm path and we start thinking that, you know what? I don't know if I can do this anymore. We lose our passion. We lose our fire. And the fourth one is that they lost their vision. They lost their vision. I think so many times that we get into a situation in life that sometimes we become in this situation, we become like this, that we lose our vision, we lose where we need to go. There is no one farther from the truth in Christ than the one that makes an idle profession without real faith. There is no one farther in their walk with God than the one that has, makes an idle profession that I'm a Christian but doesn't display their real faith. You see, that's what I believe the enemy tries to do in our society to allow us to be casual Christians, to say we're a Christian. When you go up and you go to the Barna Research Institute and you get look at statistics or you go to, you know, different areas that you try to find out, you know, what, how many Christians are there and all these different types of things, I believe that what happens is that we become casual in our faith. And when we become casual in our faith, we lose our drive, we, lose our, we, we, we become complacent, we lose our fire, we lose our vision of where we want to go because we become complacent. I think it's obvious that Jesus prefers outright rejection. Jesus prefers that you say, I am cold, I don't want Jesus, I don't want you in my life, I'm going to do my thing, my way, the way I want to do it. He prefers you to say that than for you to be lukewarm. Because when you're lukewarm, you lull yourself to sleep. Well, today, I'm going to do this activity and I'm not going to go to church. Today, I'm not going to tell my kids about Jesus. We're going to go to the park. Today, I'm not going to set the standard as a mom and a dad. I'm just going to do the things of this world. And again, going to the park is awesome. No problem with that. Doing the things that you want to do that God's given you the ability to do, no problem with that. But when we begin to become lukewarm, when we begin to take things for granted in our walk with God, we have to have a reality check. We have to begin to evaluate where we're at. You see, in verse, in verse 17, it says, You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, Pitful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy, me from, to buy from me gold refined in fire so you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so you can see. See, they were so caught up in materialism that they didn't know that they were spiritual, spiritually dead. And sometimes we get so caught up in our, spirit, in, our, in our lives that we don't understand that we're walking off the cliff. 
See, Jesus says that you are dressing yourself in your own righteousness. What matters is my righteousness. You see, we, we, we want sometimes to make the criteria of what our righteousness should be instead of focusing on God's righteousness. Verse, eight, verse 18 says, I counsel you to buy me gold refined in fire so you become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. It's talking about Christ is the remedy. It's talking about how that, that the white clothes are compared to the reputation of the city. The city was a, was a manufacturing. They had, they had this wool for clothes and, then, and, then, and they were rich and they, they could do their own things. But, but Christ is saying here, I come with white clothes. I come with forgiveness. I come with true sight. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from their faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. There are times in our, in our walk with God that we, that we get associated with, make, with making decisions that causes grief. Point number three says, Christ desires repentance to deepen our relationship. Christ desires repentance to deepen our relationship. When we walk through fires of temptation, tribulation, and persecution, and we could probably all say that we've gone through fires of tribulation, temptation, and persecution. But when we walk through those fires, God is using that fire to test us and to test our faith to forge and to refine and to purify our faith. God is, God is not allowing us to go through that test and say, hey, just do it by yourself. Just do it by yourself. I'll be here when you get done. But God is using that test, that fire, to refine your faith, to, to forge that faith, to, to build a foundation in that faith for you. Verse 19, it says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Verse 20, it says, here am I. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with, with that person and they with me. Jesus was talking to the church here. And this church is like a lot of us today. It was full of people that had an outward view an outward view of faith, kind of an outward look about them, looking at ourselves. We pointed at each other earlier, or mentally pointed. And we say, hey, here's the biggest sinner. Well, how do we know that? We, we base that off of the outward appearance of the outward things that we see. And the church here in Laodicea, they looked very religious, and they had all the material things but Scripture says that they were very, very lukewarm. Jesus said to them, he said, To those of whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. And the key word there is love. Everybody say love. God loves you. He loves those that are following after him. He loves those that are going through a difficult time. He says, I love you. Therefore, I will rebuke you and discipline you. One of the greatest responsibilities that we have as parents is to be able to love our kids and to discipline them and to rebuke them 
Because we want them to be able to grow. And I can attest to you as a father in, the, in, in this stage here today that there were moments as a father that I did not step up and give my kids the rebuke and the discipline that they needed to have. And I failed as a father. And there are certain fruits from that that I have to deal with today because I did not do that. And I'm telling you today that, that we as a church and you as a family need to take ownership of teaching our kids what it means to be a boy, what it means to be a girl, what it means to have life and not squander it because we want to live in a culture that captivates to this individualistic component that's going on in our world today. The Word of God is real. And there are going to be people that are going to criticize you. There are going to be people that are going to persecute you. And there are going to be people that are going to put you through the ringer because you're standing on God's word. But I can tell you today, one day Jesus is returning. And the day that he returns, we're going to know whether or not we have a, that we're walking with him. Amen? Amen? Jesus said to them, I, I love, I rebuke, and I discipline. And he says, so be earnest earnest and say it out loud. Be earnest and repent. You see, Jesus just, just didn't give the, the first part of it, that I love you, I'll rebuke you in a discipline, but he says, now be earnest. Continue to go forward and repent from what I'm telling you. If you look at my life from the outside and there's little or no difference about the way I do life, than someone who doesn't proclaim the name of Jesus Christ in their life. At some point, we have to ask the hard question, is there a real difference that's going on the inside? The issue is that we want to add Christ without subtracting sin. We all want the benefits of calling ourselves a believer, but we, won't, but we don't want to subject ourselves to what Jesus teaches to really affect our, day, our everyday life. We want to come to Central. We want to have a great time. We want to be able to connect. We want to be able to worship. We want to be able to live for Jesus. But then on Tuesday, we go back and do the exact same thing we did before we came to Central. We want a revival in our hearts without repentance in our lives. There's a quote that says, and it's free. This is, this is post-printing. Uh, okay, so this is not in your notes. I always do that. I always think of something after I give John all the notes. Spiritual maturity isn't just how much we know, but how much we obey. Spiritual maturity isn't just how much we know, it's how much we live it out. Spiritual maturity isn't just about how much we know, it's about how kind of impact that we're making in our, in our community. What kind of impact are we making in our family? What kind of impact, impact are we making in our workplace? Well, hey, don't, don't press it on me, right? I mean, I fell at that. I got open gaps. I got a fellow co-worker with us today. I don't stand on the pulpit in our, in our schools and tell people how much, Jesus, how much they need to know Jesus. I fell at times. I understand it. But spiritual maturity isn't just about how much we know, it's about how much we live it out. 
how much we live it out. What's on display on our outside? If people see me doing things on the outside that are of this world, are they really going to be concerned about what's going on the inside? No, because all they see is what I'm doing on the outside. We have to begin to understand that God wants us to, to control. God wants to give us the strength to control what we do on the outside, what we put inside of our body, what we see, what we watch, what we hear, what we say, how we talk. Because what we do on the outside is what's going to draw people to the inside. And if all they see is the things of this world on the outside, they're not going to come to me and say, what is this Jesus that you're talking about? And even though you're not saying a word, what is this Jesus that you're talking about that sets people free? Because I don't see it in your life. Or on the flip side, we tell people, man, you need to know Jesus. Well, I don't want your Jesus because everything I see you doing, I don't want that. I'm struggling with that. And if that's what your Jesus gives you, I don't want that. So we have to understand spiritual maturity isn't just how much we know, but it's how we live it out. When, you, when we rebuke the enemy and return to God by repenting of our sins and receiving Christ, our spirit will be reborn. Our mind will be renewed, and our life will be rebuilt. Man, isn't that awesome? I mean, there is a plan. When you ask Jesus into your heart, <coughs> there is a plan that God has that you will rejoice, that you'll reap the, rejo that you'll reap the rewards of a relationship that Jesus is causing a revival to break free. Can I tell you this morning that I'm not perfect? And I make mistakes. But the Word of God, the truth in which we stand on today, comes with no, with no issues. It's perfect. It's anointed by God. It's infallible but we are sinners. And we have to continue to fight. And we have to continue to work. And we have to continue to try to allow that revival from within to break free and let people see the love that we have in, our, in, in, in Jesus. Because the world, hey, we're, we're changing day by day. We're changing day by day. And we have to be able to be the anchor that this world needs Verse 21, it says, To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my Father on this throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This morning, he that has ears, let them hear. Those that have sight, let them see. My encouragement today is that we can leave this place knowing where we are at, knowing this, the type of person that we are at, and allowing God to begin to work in our life. See, there are three core components that can set the stage and keep our heart tender and our heart ready and alert for his calling as we close today. The first core component is surrender. Acknowledging your brokenness. See, we have to get raw. We have to get vulnerable. 
We have to be able to show God our secret, the secrets of our heart. Now that means that you have to surrender your pride. Well, I'm not that bad of a person. I really don't need what God is offering. I don't really need to change what I'm doing. We have to change our posture of entitlement. He knows your every sin. He knows your every trouble. He knows your very secret. But we have to recognize the importance of surrender and recognizing the fallibility is better than it was. But sometimes there are still things that trip us up. There are still things that are causing us trouble. There are still the core problem of our character. And today we say that we need to be able to surrender and to acknowledge our brokenness, to acknowledge our brokenness, to acknowledge our brokenness, because God wants us to be free. Free of the things that you're dealing with, the free of the things that you're going through. The second core value that we have is ask God in. Just want to want Him. Just want to want Him. Do not stop after the first step of surrender. It's easy to do. In a few minutes, you're going to have an opportunity to surrender. In a few minutes, you're going to have a chance to raise your hand. In a few minutes, you're going to have the opportunity to make a life decision change in your life. Well, I'm not that bad of a person. And you're going to surrender that. But on Tuesday, you're going to grab it back. Why? Because right now you're opening yourself up. And that openness is healthy. And it's cleansing. And it's healing that's taking place. But unless you allow the Holy Spirit to come in today. And allow the Holy Spirit to blow the dust off. To cleanse the things that you're going through. And begin to allow Him to be the resident in your heart on that particular issue. You're going to be worse off than you were before. Because the enemy is going to take that surrender and he's going to begin to say, see, I told you. You should have never surrendered. That. You should have never given that up because you're just right back where you were. You're not worthy. You're not broken. You're just holding on to that. And the enemy is going to keep on going. There. And we need the Holy Spirit to hold us tight. We need the Holy Spirit to come in and blow the dust off. And we need to understand this. Where the rubber meets the road, the part of our living. It can be tough. It can be challenging. It can be hard. And you may wish, God, I want to stop. But you got to trust in the Lord. And you got to continue to push through. And you can't give up. You can't give up and throw it all away, what God's going to do in the next five minutes in this place. You can't give it up. The Israelites were leaving they were freed from Egypt, and the Egyptians were following them. And we read this in Exodus, and they were following them, and they see the Jordan, and they've got to cross it, and they're looking at what's coming behind, and they see that, and I said, it looks like it's an impossible feat. And they cry out to Moses, Moses, we just want to go back. They have shelter. They have food. All I see in front of me is the impossible. Can I tell you today, when you begin to ask him in, the incredible begins. Life change happens. Things begin to change in your life. Why? Because you're seeking Him to do the impossible in your life. 
And some of you don't want to share the impossible. Some of you don't want to be accountable to that thing that the enemy has wretched inside your heart and you don't want to give up. And I can I tell you today that you're going to have the greatest faith story in your life when you begin to open up and say, Jesus, take this. I surrender you to this, God. And you're going to be able to be accountable to somebody else and hold them in that place. Let us allow the Holy Spirit to move through our life today, blowing off the dust from within. The third thing is look for gold. God will reward you through your cleansing, through your trials, through your turmoil, through your anguish, anguish and utter pain. But remember, we had all those before we started living for Jesus. God is going to give us a reward. Maybe sometimes we get self-satisfaction, accolades. But those are superficial. Those are man-made. Can I tell you today, God promises you an eternity with Him. That God is going to begin to refine the things in your life and burn away the useless things that are going on. And he's going to begin to give you something great. He's going to begin to give you those nuggets of gold and those rewards that are eternal. And we are about to listen or we are about to talk about surrender. And I believe that this is for every individual that's here this morning and for every individual that's tuning in at 11 o'clock today for our online service. That it's the most important thing that we could do today is surrender our lives once again to Him. You see, some of you are cold. On the outward appearance, it looks like maybe you're hot. Maybe you're doing things for the Lord. Maybe you're doing the things that's central. Maybe you're apart, but you're cold. You don't have a relationship with him. You're living off the fruit of maybe your spouse. You're living off the fruit of maybe your parents. But you're not living for him. Some of you need to surrender to the salvation work of Jesus and declare that Jesus Christ is your Lord. Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name will be saved. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You cannot be saved by good works. You cannot be saved by religious activities. You cannot be saved by just going through the motions. The Bible says that it's only by the grace of God through faith in Jesus that you can be forgiven and saved. Some of you this morning know Christ. And there are still parts of your life, just like parts of my life, that we have not yet submitted to God. And I believe that with all my heart. Others of you, the weight of your sin is so real, it is so heavy that it burdens you. And today we are handing off to God. Today we are saying, God, forgive me, change me, make me like new. And when we make that declaration, when we surrender, when we fall on our knees, when we raise our hand in just a few seconds and say, Jesus, forgive me, 
Jesus, I surrender to you. Jesus, I give you this issue. Jesus, I give you this thing I'm struggling with. Jesus, I give you this. Immediately, God comes. And at that moment, you'll be forgiven and you'll become a brand new creation as you turn from your sins and you turn towards Jesus. We sing the song, Scripture, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test my anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. You see, we are accountable to this moment right now. Each one of us are accountable. Romans 14, 12 says that each believer will give an account of himself to God on the day that we stand before him. You will be accountable to your faith, to what you're making the decisions right now. Can I tell you, we need to surrender to him. So I want us to be, I want us, I want us to think about what God wants us to do right now. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you, God. All things are possible, Lord, right now. God, there may be things in our life, there may be pillars in my life, God, right now. There may be things, God, that I'm struggling with that the Holy Spirit wants to come and wants to, to, to blow off those things and to heal and to cleanse but God, I've been complacent. God, I've lost my drive. God, I've lost my fire. I've lost my vision. But today, God, I surrender to you. And maybe you're in this place today and you've never asked Jesus Christ in your life. You've played the games. You've looked good on the outside, but today you're ready to surrender your life and say, Jesus, will you forgive me of my sins? Jesus, will you set me free? Today, God, I want to know that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Today, God, I want to know where my eternity will rest. If that's you this morning, will you just raise your hand? No one's looking around. No one's watching. But if you are ready to make that decision to follow Jesus, raise your hand and surrender to the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Maybe today the weight is heavy. Maybe today you love Jesus, but you've allowed lukewarmness to creep in. You've allowed the things of this world to dictate how you're going to walk with God. And today you're saying, God, will you forgive me? God, I surrender to you. If it's you today, will you raise your hand? God, I've allowed lukewarmness to come into my life. The things that I show on the outside is not reflective to the things that are on the inside. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And for the last call, for those of you that are hot for Jesus, for those of you that have spiritual fervor, would you be willing to say, God, I surrender to you today? For I do not, for I do not know what tomorrow brings. I do not know the challenges that I will face. But God, I surrender to you so that when I go into the fire, that you will forge my faith, that you will purify my faith, and that you'll hold me steady as I go through the fire. If that's you this morning, would you raise your hand? Hallelujah, Jesus. Yes, God. Purify me, God. Strengthen me, Jesus. So God, we give you this time, we give you this place. I thank you, God, for the opportunity to stand in your pulpit 
And I thank you, God, for your forgiveness. Now, Lord, as we leave this place, God, may we be free as we celebrate a great country. But God, may we walk out of this place celebrating a great king and a great Lord. And may it resonate from the inside out throughout this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.